Welcome to the Black Belt Show, uh, where we talk to the best fighters and professionals in the world, and they share their journey of going from white belt to black belt in their respective fields, and the crazy stories that come along with it. My name is Rocco Flores, and I'm joining you here with my co-host, Jinzinho Shin. Uh, and I'd also like to give a, a shout out to our sponsors, uh, Black Belt Nutrition. Black Belt Nutrition is the only protein bar that was created for martial artists. Um, and if you like protein bars that are healthy and contain no fake shit and taste delicious, um, check them out at blackbeltnutrition.com. And even if you aren't a martial artist, if you just like protein bars that taste amazing and you like your health, then check them out too. Uh, we'd like to introduce our guest today from Silver Spring, Maryland, representing Team Lloyd Irving, the 2021 World's Black Belt finalist, Malachi. Now you see him, now you don't. Magic Man, Edmund. Malachi, <laughs> what is going on? Nothing much. How are you guys? Great, brother. Thank you for joining us today. For sure. Thanks for having me. All right, Malachi. So we're going to jump straight into it, man. You are from Temple Hills, Maryland. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can you tell us what Temple Hills was like? You're growing up in Temple Hills. Um, so Maryland, I always say it's kind of boring. Like <laughs> it's not as flashy as like California and it's not as like large as New York. You know, New York has all the high buildings and stuff like that. In yeah. DC, like buildings can't be higher than a certain height. So we don't get like 50 story high rises or like crazy beaches like the best beach we have is in ocean city so it's like an hour and a half drive so i would say like it's kind of a boring place not as boring as like iowa or something like that but um growing up in maryland you stay around a lot of friends because if not like you can get into a lot a lot of bad things so definitely a credit just to you know keep me straight focused do you like i mean do you do you kind of like that I don't want to say boring, but do you kind of like that simple, boring, low-key lifestyle? Yeah, it's cool. Um, you know, you can always go to, like, D.C. or you can always go to Virginia, and they both have, like, their own, like, little aesthetics that are cool. But, um, yeah, we kind of, like, just hung out more as friends in Maryland. There's a lot of stuff you can do around, you know, in your neighborhood, like playing football or, like, playing soccer or going to play basketball with your friends or video games. So, that's what I do like, but it's a little bit more small. We don't have like, oh man, let's go clubbing tonight or, or let's go to the beach or stuff like that. We always love to do that, but it's cooler like just to be together. It's more down to earth. Exactly. Exactly. What was the what was the jujitsu scene like when you were growing up in Temple Hills? Because like you just said, um, I mean, when you think of jujitsu in these crazy places, you you wouldn't think that Temple Hills, Maryland would be a hot spot for jujitsu athletes. Exactly. Um, so for the East Coast and for our team, especially, I would say it was kind of hard um, to get like fully engulfed, like especially like through your parents and your friends, like into jujitsu. Like the West Coast, you already have like Kung Fu and Taekwondo and stuff like that. It's huge. Like it's on every corner in the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And then when Jiu-Jitsu was introduced, it was kind of the same on the West Coast. Everyone was like, whoa, what's Jiu-Jitsu? Let's do this. The East Coast is more like Nogi and wrestling because you have like Pennsylvania and places like that that are big wrestlers. So for them to put on a gi, it was like, yeah, nah, I'm okay. I'll just stick to Nogi. So I would say like, 
our team is one of the ones that like do no gi and gi and you don't see like oh this team is like oh they're just like no gi guys or they're just like gi guys like in maryland because we are so far away from everything we may as well just do everything mm -hmm. so that if we go to the west coast and train no gi we can do no gi if we want to do mma you can start going to mma you can start doing jitsu you can do everything so so when you were going up there was there was there a lot of jujitsu in your area or was it kind of like up and coming or was it already established? Um, when I grew up, no, like Maryland was like not a big spot for jujitsu. Like we were one of the biggest teams in Maryland for sure. Mm -hmm. So we would drive to New York and New Jersey and Connecticut to compete. So like there was weren't really any big tournaments. Now you're starting to see like grappling industries come to Maryland and Naga come to Maryland. But we had one Naga Maryland when I was a kid. The rest was like New York and New Jersey. You had to travel far. Yeah. What? So then, uh, how did you get? How did you get started in your jujitsu journey? Okay, so our school is a little bit different. Um, when I first started, and I've never seen jujitsu or anything like that before, I started watching Power Rangers. Okay. And my grandmother actually seen me doing like some of the stuff, like tornado kicks and stuff like that. And she was like, well, I'm not going to have you doing it in my house. <laughs> so she took me to like a Taekwondo place and I seen them like hitting and chopping and breaking boards and stuff. And I was like, eh, not really, you know, kind of like what I want to do. So um, my grandmother took me to Chimo Durban and they were kind of doing the same thing. So they do what you call Taijutsu which is like a mixture of everything. It just adds a belt system to MMA, basically. So you learn takedowns, you learn jabs, crosses, all that kind of stuff. But then you can still, you know, like progress through like white belt to like black belt and not just be like an MMA fighter, you know? So they call it taijutsu. But I seen them doing that and everyone was like doing these crazy crosses and things like that. And I was like, okay, now this is where I like to be. Taijutsu, like, like, like Naruto, Rock Lee, taijutsu? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Exactly. So then I seen um, after the Taijutsu class, a lot of people started grappling. And I was like, ah, that now that looks like something I would want to try. But when I first tried it, I was horrible. Like, I was not good at all. Like, I, I could do, I can hold my own with some people, but like, it took me a long time to win. And we'll probably get more into that when you guys ask more questions. But yeah, I started off doing Taijutsu, and then we had, like, this program where the kids could, like, excel, and if they excelled, then they did Jiu-Jitsu, so I was really good at Taijutsu, so they allowed me to do the Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, so you had to show, you had to show a basic understanding of Taijutsu in order to do Jiu-Jitsu. Exactly, so how they had it, they have, like, an intro program, and then they have what we call the Master's Club, so, like, you get a whole different uniform and everything when you join that Master's Program, so... Once I was able to join the master's program, that's when I like I started actually doing like jujitsu. I'm assuming it was pretty exciting when you finally got able to call it up to jujitsu. For sure, for sure. Like taijutsu was cool, and we had like summer camp programs where like there'd be like tons of kids in there. But it it made you feel like exclusive when like 60 kids are doing taijutsu, but then like 15 kids sneak off to like a different area to start doing jujitsu. You know? Are there some kids who just never made it out? yes <laughs> yes right. like we we had kids like even as i grew up as an instructor like kids that were just like stuck stuck doing the intro program like 
like from like nine years old to like 13 years old, still doing like the intro program, which it stinks because it's still a business. So, you know, you still have to pay to like move up and things like that. But parents were like, nah, I don't trust it. And it stinks because I feel like jujitsu changes like a lot of lives, you know? So you never know investing $200 into your child to move up to the next program, what that could do for your child in like the long run. Mm -hmm. Fuck, dude. I don't know. I feel like I probably wouldn't have been able to make it out of the Taijutsu. <laughs> no, you, you would have been fine. You'd have been fine. It's, it's really not hard. It's really no. not. No, 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 no. It's, it's really not hard. It's just basic boxing and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Okay. So you said you initially joined because you were watching Power Rangers and your grandma wanted you to do some of the similar stuff. So when did it click for you that it's not just cool ninja stuff and it's like you know it's a martial arts a sport that you're gonna actually pursue um so like professionally is that what you're asking or like like full time no when you were a kid and you were like okay i i I like this i must i'm gonna keep doing this okay so to be 100 percent honest um at first i was just doing it because my friends are doing it and it was fun to travel with my friends and you know go to movies and go out to eat and things like that and oh yeah we do jiu-jitsu too like Mm -hmm. but it was more like hey my friends are going here so I'm gonna go here too but I didn't win so I started when I was five and I started competing at like maybe six or seven I didn't win my first tournament until I was 13 and I I credit that to my little brother like my little brother was really good at jiu-jitsu um he's like two two two-time kids pans champ and he was undefeated before that. And um, at this tournament, he won and had like a super fight. And he won his super fight. And I didn't have a super fight. I was just in like a regular division. So I was like, man, I, I, I have to take this serious now. If my little brother is, is like winning and I'm coming home with like thirds and not placing, I'm like, this is a long car ride home. So I, I, I got to change some things. So 13 is probably when I would say I would like start taking it seriously. I stopped, I like dropped other sports like basketball and things like that. And just kind of like focused straight on jujitsu. I see. Did your little brother and you ever get into fights at home? Okay. No, because deep down, I knew that if I didn't have the weight on my brother, he would probably like destroy me. Mm. But, but he, he switched. He like wrestles. Oh, so he's, he's a wrestler now? Yeah, that's cool. When it, when it, uh, what was it? So you were competing a lot as a kid. Um, and you said you didn't win your first one until you were 13. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming when you're a kid competing and you, you're losing for that long, especially as a kid, just in general, you know, you got that childish ego, which some people never grow out of, anyways. How did it feel to like, I'm assuming it was heartbreaking when you would lose and your, your little brother would win? And how did you kind of push through that ego? And is that kind of something that you'll even use today? Yeah, for sure. So, so I think the biggest thing is like the team aspect, because we do have like a large kids team, not as large as like other, like, you know, AOJ and teams like that, that have like 150 kids per program. Um, But seeing as how we like took two vans, like I said, we used to drive to New Jersey to compete we would take like two vans of maybe like 20 kids, 25 kids and seeing everyone's performance, like not everyone was like dominating. So it's like, okay, if I would have drove up here, 
just by myself with my mom and my dad and my brother. And for three straight years, it's just us three and he's winning and I'm losing. Then I feel like, oh man, like, I don't think this is for me. But seeing going as a team with like 20 people and some people get in third, some people get in second, most people get in first. It's like, oh, well, I still want to win. I still want to get first. But my teammates are also, you know, learning as well. So second and, play, second and third place is not bad. So I think seeing other people take losses kind of helped me, like, show me, like, okay, winning is good and wanting to win is everything. But if you don't win, it's not the end of the world. Like, I'm not going to, like, I'm going to quit, you know? So that, that kind of helped me just seeing like everyone else also take bumps and bruises on the way up. It's cool because, you know, some, um, you know, a lot of people, because you did see MMA, you're the only one fighting, you know, you're, it's, exactly. not, it's not really a team sport, but it's having that team, even just going to a gym, even if you're a hobbyist, it's so important to have like a, a team that you actually feel comfortable training with that you feel actually cares about you and your progress. Exactly. And uh, a lot of people can't say what I'm about to say, um, but I've been with the same team since I started. So since five years old, I'm 27 now, and I've been with the exact same team from start to now. So you guys are family, basically. Exactly. Exactly. So we're all, we all grew up together. Some people jumped in, like when I was five, some people came in at five, some people came in at six. Some people came in when we were 13, but now we've, you know, we still have like 10 years together. So we're basically family. Did you ever train, uh, did you ever train at like, uh, like throughout your career, when you go to train at other gyms, do you ever kind of train in the gym and be like, man, like the culture here just sucks. Yeah. Uh, like I try not to go to those spots, but sometimes, you know, you get invited to train with friends and yeah. they're like, Hey, why don't you come train at my gym? And, you kind of just keep your mouth shut. Like you go there, you hear the excuses and the complaints and, and like the opposite of team camaraderie, like a hundred percent, like people trashing other people on their team and stuff like that. And it's just like, and it's not really the atmosphere for me, but you know, I'll still go and hang out for a little bit. But after that, like, I probably won't go back in there again. Yeah. That's crazy. No, it's crazy hearing your story because you say you started when you were five and you're still doing it. You're still chasing your dream. And, you know, you were always like just hearing you talk about your career. I could tell you were always focused as a kid. Where did that focus come from when you were so young? Um, well, my dad's like an entrepreneur and um, seeing him trying to succeed over and over and not really getting to where he wanted to be kind of motivated me to go further than he did you know like like he set the path but seeing him not succeed makes me want to succeed even more like okay if, if he didn't do it I'm, I'm gonna do it for us you know I see and you know you also pair that focus with your you know you have this you talk about this um the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people you know we were listening to another podcast with you um with BJJ goons and you know you were yeah. talking you were talking about this you know how important it is especially when you're young to surround yourself with the right people uh who instilled that in you um definitely my coach uh Don Reiknick he definitely pushed for us to like hang out a lot like 
and and it's not like he was like you and you you're gonna go right. over his house this Saturday. Got it? It was more like everyone's here. These are your friends. You all have the same mindset. So hanging with these guys is better than me going out. You know, hanging with someone in middle school that doesn't have the same goals as me. And then hanging out with those guys. Sometimes I would break off and I'm like, ah, I'm going to go hang with those guys. And I would hang with those guys. And it's like I said, a whole bunch of like trash talking and just not, not good goals. And it's, it's not fun hanging around those guys, especially growing up. They weren't, you know, doing the same things that I was doing. So I'm like talking about doing jiu-jitsu and mounting someone. And they're like, oh man, that's gay. I don't want to hear about that crap. It's so gay. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I'd rather not hang out with you guys anymore. Yeah. Were you, were you the jiu-jitsu kid at school? Yeah, for sure. So, so I actually went to, I changed schools in fourth grade and I went to a private school. So when I switched to private school, it was a little bit better. Like public school kids were like, oh man, that's gay. When I switched to private school, there were a lot more wrestlers. So a lot of the wrestlers were like, oh yeah, like, but you wouldn't do that on me. You know, I know you know yeah. jiu-jitsu, but it wouldn't land on me. So I'm like, all right, cool. I can hang with these guys and I'll invite these guys, you know, over to hang out with my jiu-jitsu friends and we'll, all like talk about sports but yeah choosing the right circle is definitely big did you ever end up getting to use your jujitsu on the the guys who said it was gay heck yeah, heck yeah. oh are you serious <laughs> yeah so so a little bit off topic uh i got into so basically he say she say type stuff like yeah. this guy we were hanging out in the neighborhood we we're all playing basketball and someone was like oh this guy's talking about your mom and someone said that i was talking about his mom we finally meet up and we, neither of us were actually talking about each other's moms, but it blew up so much that everyone like, was like, oh, they're, they're going to fight. So like, I I like Taijutsu, but I knew that I'm like, this guy knows no Jiu-Jitsu at all. So I'm not going to actually throw any punches on this guy. So I like double-legged him. He got back up and I like put him in the guillotine and he's like, just started going crazy because we've never been in the guillotine and it starts choking you. You're like, whoa. Yeah. So after the guillotine, he kind of just like ran home and I was like, ah. Do you, do you think so, that was one of your favorite moments? No, not at all. <laughs> I don't like fighting. Like, like often that I'm not a, like, I, I like to get aggressive, but I'm not like a big, hey, you, come here, we're going to fight yeah, yeah. type of guy. That's, hey, you put him in his place, though. Right, exactly, exactly. Did they ever do the he say, he say she say again or not? No, no, no. We, we kind of like just kept playing basketball after that, and everyone was like, no, he's crazy. He's, he chokes right. people. You know, do you think he thinks jujitsu is straight now? Yes, yes. He actually, he actually came, he actually came and tried class for like a good month, and then he kind of stopped. Not because like anyone was talking about him or anything. He just like he was really good at basketball, like really good at basketball. But um, he actually plays overseas now. Okay. But he like he was like, nah, I'd rather just play basketball. Would you like to give him a shout out? (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, shout out to Marquise. He plays in China, so. Hell yeah, Marquise. Happy Chinese New Year. All right, so we're going we're gonna to talk about, so Team Lloyd Irvin, the legendary Team Lloyd Irvin. Right. Dude, there's kind of like, a, there's kind of like a, a legendary aura around the Team Lloyd Irvin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what was it like training there at a young age? Because, you know, a lot of, I feel like a lot of jiu-jitsu gyms, um, because you were talking earlier about Taijutsu, how you had to qualify for the jujitsu classes. But I feel like, you know, a, a lot of jujitsu gyms for kids, like they're only like- You just jump right in. Yeah, that, well, not even that. They're almost like, kind of like, not, I don't want to say daycare, but kind of like kids running around, you know, 
playing with one another. But it's exactly, like you guys were, hey, you're coming here to train. Yeah, so so it kind of was like a mixture of both. Okay. So depending on what time of the year it is, um, as a kid, because you had school, so we had an after school program. So after school, you would come in, eat your snack, do your homework, and then after your homework, you would go and do class. And then for those that did jiu-jitsu, would do another class. So during the school year, yeah, it was kind of like school jiu-jitsu, school jiu-jitsu, school jiu-jitsu. But the fun part was summertime <laughs> because during the summer, we would go and have a summer camp and there would be kids that, you know, don't do jiu-jitsu and the kids that do jiu-jitsu, they all come together. And we just have like a crazy time, like doing taijutsu class and like, little skits like dance skits and performances and stuff like that and then you would have the people that do jiu-jitsu and we would want to like bring people over that have never done jiu-jitsu before into the class during the summer and we'll like hey try this try this try this do this do this do this but while we're doing that we're still going to like six flags laser tag going to the pool and stuff like that so i would say as a kid jujitsu wasn't like in the back of my mind but i knew i like correlated jujitsu with fun mm -hmm. so it wasn't like work 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 mm -hmm. it's like fun jujitsu fun jujitsu fun jujitsu and you know we're going out and having fun would you think that was their uh intention they wanted you guys to equate fun with jujitsu not at all <laughs> no not at all i don't think so yeah. i don't think so man like to be 100 percent honest most places are like a business yeah so yeah if you have fun doing jiu-jitsu we want you to have fun doing jiu-jitsu but i think with like the brotherhood we formed mm -hmm. it was fun for us you know because there were people that came to the gym and were like no i'm not i'm not here to have fun I came here because I know who you guys are. You guys are Team Urban. You guys have a great kids program. And I want my kid to do what you guys do. And it doesn't work because you can't come into, you know, a circle where the kids are having fun and building like a, like team camaraderie and just think you're going to come in for sports and then leave. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to like, you have to joke with us. You have to have fun with us. You have to play. You have to do that or else... When we see you, we're gonna be like, "Hey, what's up, man?" And then as soon as we go back to training with just our people, we're gonna be like, "Ah, that guy's lame," <laughs> you know? Not really lame, and not really like joking them, but it's like, it's not he doesn't want to, you know? Yeah, he doesn't want to do, you know, what we do. He doesn't want to come have fun. Like, jujitsu is fun to us. It's not like, like you know, it, we're not forced to do jujitsu. We do it because we like it, you know? So you guys got that traditional? I don't know if it's traditional, but a big relationship based gym from, from, for sure familiar, for sure like, family gym yeah all the way down to like right now like I said I'm 27 but I still do classes with like nine-year-olds 10-year-olds 13-year-olds 14-year-olds because I came up from that kids program mm -hmm. so to joke with a nine-year-old every Monday through Friday is not a problem with me I'll go and do lasso and I'll kick them in the head on accident and they'll mm -hmm. start laughing at me and it's like yeah that's pretty funny but I'm 27 years old, so it's not like I'm like, don't laugh at that. That's not funny. It hurts my, you know, it hurts my feelings. Yeah, I'm not going to be like that. So I think that's the cool part about training at our gym. So uh, what do you think separates uh, Team Lloyd Irving? So what do you think it is that kind of gave Team Lloyd Irving 
this legendary art? Do you think it's that relationship or do you think it's the success? Um, I, I, I would say it's the grittiness. Like West Coast teams, I won't say they're like, you know, they're not gritty, but like the East Coast has like a different grit to it. Like you can even see in like basketball, like you see the Lakers play and then you see like the Celtics play. Right. The Lakers are kind of like finesse and they, they, they're, you know, like that. Celtics are gritty. Like you see Magic Johnson, he does like flashy finger rolls and stuff like that. You see Larry Bird, Larry Bird's tossing elbows and going up for rebounds and stuff like that. So I would probably say like our grittiness is something a lot of things, like a lot of teams see in us. So you see us and we come out on the mat and you see the bulldog on our back or you see like the kids team patch and you're like, oh, this is going to be a barn burner, you know? Mm-hmm. Other teams is like, Oh, I won't say any names, but you know, like you see another team and it's like, oh, you know, this could be a good guy or this could be like mediocre guy. You never know. But I feel like with us, even if it is a mediocre guy, at least he's going to give you everything he has from start to finish. So I think that's what kind of separates us from other people. That old school uh, pounded out attitude. Sure, for sure. Exactly. And I, I don't accredit that to like just one person. I just think that's how the East Coast is, you know? Okay. So you think that's kind of more of a cultural thing for the East Coast gyms in general? I think so. Maybe because like Penn State and and like Drexel and all those like Rutgers and all those schools that are over there, like Maryland's not a big wrestling school. Like, I mean, not a big wrestling community at all, but still like, um, Football and basketball is huge in Maryland. And, like, everyone in football and basketball that I know is, like, really gritty. Mm -hmm. So, like, when they go play, like, teams in Florida and they go play teams in, like, Cali, it's like, man, we keep getting fouled. Or, like, they're hitting way too hard and stuff like that, like, kids and stuff. But it's like, I mean, that's just kind of, like, how we grew up over here. Yeah. You think that has to do with um, just – do you think it's because maybe, like, I guess – I don't want to say – I mean, California's like West Coast and stuff. They got a sexier vibe, you know. A little free. It's a little bit more free. Yeah, yeah. They got the sexy beaches, but Ocean City, Maryland, is it's a little grungy. It's, it's dirty. Yeah, yeah. it's dirty. It's a if you naughty. think about like the beaches we have over here on the East Coast, that I don't know one good beach. Not Rehoboth Beach. Not Long Island. Not yeah. not Ocean City. Like we we we. Basically, what they say, we get it out the mud because we don't we don't have any good beaches over here. Yeah. No, when people are like, "Oh, I'm going to I'm going to California," like when I'm going to a beach in California or Florida, people are like, "Whoa!" And oh yeah, you say, nice. You say like Myrtle or Ocean City, people are like, "Whoa." Yeah. Nah. <laughs> good. They say good luck. Hey. Yeah, good yeah. Luck out there. So right? uh, yeah, I want to ask more about uh, Master Donnie. Yeah. Um. So he was a coach you had a pretty strong relationship with. For sure. That formed your, that was a big part of your formation of your career. For sure. So to me, Mastodon is kind of like a second dad. Like, so my dad kind of like walked out on me at a young age and he popped in and out throughout my life. So he was there. I won't say that I didn't have a father figure throughout my whole life, but when I made big decisions, it would be, you know, I would talk to Mastodon first. And um, before we get like in, in more into any Macedoni stuff, we say Macedoni, but that's like martial art, OG martial art. Like, I feel like the aspect of martial arts is gone. So most people say like professor now, and we just stick to traditional like 
Master Lloyd, Master Donnie. So like mm-hmm. some people look at me crazy, like, did you just say master? Like, but like, if you look at karate movies, like Master Miyagi, like people like that. So, but yeah, um, I would say he was like a father figure. Like at one point in time, when I was younger and my brother started coming to martial arts as well, he would take us home because my mom was at work and no one else could bring us home. So Master Donnie stepped up, started taking us home. He would take us to different tournaments. He would take us out to eat, take us, you know, to the movies and stuff with other teammates. So he kind of filled in that coach slash dad, you know, spot for me. When, uh, so when you were talking earlier about having to go through that tough time of never winning competitions until you were 13, was he a big part of kind of helping you get through that mental block? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. So Macedoni is Korean and Koreans are like yeah. huge trolls, right? <laughs> so like they'll, they'll tell it to you straight, but they'll also joke you at the same time, right? Are you Korean? I'm Korean, yeah. So you know, you know what I'm yeah, talking about. I do. Koreans are pretty big trolls. So... <laughs> Right, I wouldn't say, right <laughs> yeah, Koreans are trolls. I wouldn't say like he was like, it's like a full troll culture, but he would joke. But after the joke, there would still be a lesson behind every joke. Mm. So like, I'll give you an example. One tournament, we went to the world championships as a juvenile and I got tapped in like 30 seconds. And as soon as I step off the mat, like it was a, hey, good job. But right after that, it was a joke. I was like, <laughs> I literally just got tapped 30 seconds ago and you're joking me. But then after, um, you know, after a while, he let me get myself together and we had a good talk about, you know, my performance and what I need to change and stuff like that. So yes and no. Yes, he jokes a lot, but yes, a lot of positive, you know, outcomes come out after that. Do you think your jujitsu? career would have been the same if you didn't have uh, a strong relationship with someone like Mastodonny? No, I do not. If I didn't have Mastodonny, I, I don't think that my jiu-jitsu would be the same because I let a lot of things get to my head and I let a lot of, a lot of things bottle up and then later I explode. Mm-hmm. But I feel like working with like Mastodonny and Mastodonny, a lot of stuff has changed mentally for me so I can get to a new place in jiu-jitsu and it also helps, you know, with like life outside mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu now. But I also think, like I said, going back to like the East Coast and Maryland and stuff, how jiu-jitsu isn't really that big. There's a lot of other gyms in Maryland that I could have gone to. And I think I would have hit a wall where I, I wouldn't have got, you know, as good as I can get to now, you know. So I feel like our our coaching system is like top for Maryland. Now, I, I think we're the best in the world, obviously. But with your question, I think if I was in Maryland and I was at any other gym, I don't think that I would have, you know, gone as far. Do you think in order to get to your level of um just you know that top tier um for jiu-jitsu and MMA, do you think, you know, skill coaching aside, do you how important do you think it is to have that kind of personal relationship with a coach to reach that highest level? Oh, no, it's it's 100% like needed. 
because you see a lot of good guys that like bounce around and they're they're good but you'll never see them as like the champ because they keep bouncing around and once you have the same coach for a while you build like a trust and like if you don't have that trust with the guy that's you know basically you're putting your whole career into Mm -hmm. then you're never going to get as far because you don't trust them Mm -hmm. you know so I have like a lot of trust in the decisions that my coaches make so I think that makes a big difference what do you think makes uh what do you think makes an excellent jujitsu coach like what do you think makes jujitsu coach better than others someone who understands like what's going on with you as a person but also will give it to you straight because you have a lot of coaches that'll be like oh well you know he doesn't get that much sleep so he could be better if he got a lot more sleep but I'm not going to tell him that, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you have coaches that just barrel into you. Well, you don't get sleep and you don't do this and you don't do that, but they don't tell you, you know, help you get better. Like we should do this route to help you do this. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say a coach that has like a perfect median, like a, a coach that knows what's going on, but will also not make excuses for you, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you think it's even skill-based or do you think it's more so of the personal um, relationship mental I think it's both. I think, I think coaches have to go through coaching people, you know, they have to have like some, some people will coach one person and that one person will just be like a dog, but then they'll have like six or seven other people that are like, ah, he's okay. But it's because he hasn't built that relationship with those six or seven other people and tried, you know, trial and error with six or seven other people to get them to where that other person is going Mm-hmm. to like succeed and that's why I think Macedonia and Masoli do like they they do a lot of trial and error with different generations of people and different types of people that just help them you know keep bringing that that one or two that leaks through so say you have 10 but like four leak through and become champions and that just keeps four goes to six six mm-hmm. goes to eight and it just keeps you know creating more and more champions it's kind of like um it's kind of like parents um when you're young, you think your parents have all the answers, but really they're still trying to figure out how to be parents too. Exactly. Exactly. Especially for the oldest child being yeah. a parent, the, the oldest child gets it the worst. I'm the oldest mm-hmm. child. Yeah. And then as you go down, they get a little bit, they, you know, they, they pave the road already. So everyone mm-hmm. behind you kind of like gets a different parent, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then there's some parents, there's some coaches who don't want to be better coaches. They don't want to be better parents, you know? Or they're the coaches that just think they're at a level, yeah, but they're not. Mm-hmm. And those are the coaches you definitely don't you definitely don't want to be under because like I'm the best coach out here, mm-hmm. but you're not. Like there, I've I've been with other good coaches, so mm-hmm. you know I know how it feels. Let's see, so you've you've had a quite the journey. You've had quite the long journey. You started when you were five, and you've been a black belt now for a couple years now. You know, can you talk about some of the sacrifices you had to make to get to that level? Well, as a kid, I'll give you as a kid and as an adult, as a kid, I missed a lot of birthday parties, a lot of get togethers, a lot of, you know, friendly gatherings, like, you know, school dances and stuff like that. Um, I went to some in high school, but as a kid, I, I would say I probably missed a lot of stuff. But I still, you know, went to a lot of stuff with my jiu-jitsu friends. So I may have missed out on, like, 
life things as a kid, like birthdays and stuff like that. But I still celebrated, you know, birthdays of my Jiu-Jitsu friends. So I don't really feel like I missed out on too much as a kid. As an adult, I would probably probably say like, and and to me, it's different for everyone. Like some people think it's a drug. Some people don't think it's a drug, but I don't drink and I don't smoke. So some people would be like, dude, you don't, you don't smoke. It's like, bro, it's like, it's from the earth. It's natural and stuff like that. I, I had no problem with people that smoke, but people would say, dude, you're missing out because you're 27 years old and you've like never hit the blunt or like you've never rolled up or nothing like that. And I'm like, not really. Like, it's just something that doesn't appeal to me, you know? So I wouldn't say I missed out, but some people would say, hey, you missed out on this or you didn't go clubbing. So you missed out on clubbing and stuff like that. So I would just say maybe a regular adult things, but it's okay. not really. You do a different kind of rolling. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I slap dap and roll is a little bit different. Yeah. But so when you were missing out on these things as a kid, were you missing them out with the goal of being a world champ one day or you were just, you know, you just like doing jujitsu? Not, not until like, like 13, yeah, I was like, man, I, I want to do this, like, for real. 16 to, like, 18 is when I was like, okay, I, I'm really going to do this. Like, this is what I set out to do. Like, I didn't go to school because I want to become a world champion. So I would say as a kid, I was just kind of, you know, having fun, like I said earlier. Like, hey, my friends are doing it. You know, everyone else is having fun. So I'm going to have fun and just, you know, hang out with everyone here. Okay. Was there a specific moment in your career that made you think like, okay, I could do this. I could become a world champ one day. Uh, yeah, probably, probably later, like blue belt, like blue belt. Um, a lot of my friends, you know, your, your closest are starting to like dwindle off a little bit and the kids you hang out with are like, eh. I don't really want to do this anymore. I'd rather just do high school stuff or I'd rather try a different sport. But for me, like near Blue Belt, when we started to go to like California and do big tournaments and you see like Cobrinha's there and like Buchecha's there and like big names are there, you're like, man, this, this actually could be something I could do with like all these black belts that are here. I, I kind of want to be the black belt that's, you know, standing in the, in the middle of the circle on a Sunday when everyone's watching, you know? Right. Let's see. Did, and did you have a favorite moment during that journey to black belt? Favorite moment. Woo. I actually lost, but I think when we won the juvenile title um, as a blue belt, we had, we brought like a small juvenile team, but we had like so many people win gold. Um, it was just like, man, this is cool to see all, all my friends from Maryland come to California and beat like so many good people and so many big names. It was like, man, we, we could really do this. This is, this is pretty cool. So can you tell us the story of how you got your nickname? All right, cool. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that don't know, my nickname is the magic man. Um, we had this guy, he's like extremely animated. He's from the South. So he had this crazy country draw. And one day he's just sitting and watching our Saturday class. Like I told you, like we train with like kids, everything. Right. So I think I was at maybe late purple belt, early brown belt. And, um, 
he's just going through giving everyone nicknames. And we had a guy that's really good at grips and he called him God Hands. And it really didn't stick, but I think that was the coolest one. To me, God Hands just sounds amazing. Yeah. But I, I got really good at the punch choke um, from the close guard. And a lot of people thought that I was like submitting people with only one hand. <laughs> so they were like, whoa, this, this, guy's, this guy's like tapping people out with just one hand. So I would gotcha. get like a lot of good close guard moves from the overhook system. And a lot of people didn't really understand at the tournaments what I was doing. So one day he called me the magic man and it kind of just stuck. Like my guard was like magic. So from like purple belt all the way to black belt, people just called me the magic man because my close guard. So I, I kept it, kept it going. Hell yeah. When you, when you finally got your black belt, can you talk about what was going through your mind, how you were feeling? Okay, so I got my black belt two years ago and I was extremely hype. Um, a lot of my teammates thought I was gonna cry. And I got to that point where I felt like I was about to cry, but then I looked and there was like so many people behind me. So I was like, ah, no, I can't cry right now because then I would look, uh, look a little crazy. But um, I did get to that point where I wanted to cry and I was super hyped. Everything was like going good. You know how you get promoted and it's like, man, all right, let's go train, mm -hmm. you know? So I got promoted. I was super happy to train. I did IBJJF DC and got gold in my division and then bronze in the open. And like, that's how, that's how like pumped I was. Cause I don't normally do the open, but I was like, man, I just got my black belt. Like, let's try it. I, I don't care. Like I let's go into the open. So I got bronze in the open and then I did New York, New York pro um, or New York open before, you know, the whole craziness. And I got golden at New York and then Jamil and I went to Korea um, for spider. And when we got back from Spider, the next thing we we're going to gear up for was Pans. But then COVID hit. So, like, I did two tournaments, went to Korea, and then, like, everyone's like, oh, no, the world is ending. We're going to have to shut everything down. Everything's going crazy. So, like, I kind of, like, shut down myself because, you know, I'm living on top of the world. I just got gold in my hometown, and I just got gold in New York. And then I just went on the trip of my life to South Korea and then boom, like everything shut down. So my first, my first year at Black Belt was kind of rough because it was like a lot of stuff in the house, like doing in-house drills. And it's kind of not really motivating because you can't really use it. Like the fun part about going to train is trying things on your teammates, like trying new things, getting tapped, doesn't matter because, hey, we get to shake hands and go again. But if you're at home, it's kind of not really motivating because what am I going to do it on a pillow? Because mm -hmm. I can't go to a friend's house and risk COVID, you know? Because in Maryland, it was like really strict, like super strict when it first happened. So we really didn't do much. So I kind of got a little bit depressed. How long did you go without training? It was a couple months, like maybe like eight months or so Whoa. of like absolutely nothing. Like I even, I even bought like, you guys know what, like the Peloton bike. Yeah. yeah. I even bought a Peloton because like the competitor of me was like, I, I need to do something, you know? So I started like riding the bike 
And then um, my coach, Matt Lloyd, actually turned his garage into like a training facility and like put mats against the walls, got mats on the floor. It was summertime, so we didn't need him at first, but um, he opened the garage and just let the air come in. But then when it became winter, he bought like heaters. And now he has like an at-home gym. One of our um, teammates is in the UFC. He has a fight in March and he's been doing all his training in the garage instead of like at the gym. Okay. Was it the longest you've went without training? For sure. For sure. For sure. Like even when I wrestled in high school, like I still would pop in on like Friday and Saturday when I didn't have a wrestling match and come and still like do jujitsu, you know? And plus you were still grappling. Exactly. Exactly. So that's probably the longest I've ever been. And that's the longest I've ever been at the highest belt, you know, at black. So it was kind of rough. Before I ask this quick question, how, how was how was your trip to Korea? Was it pretty cool? It was amazing. It, it's the best, like best trip I've ever taken as an adult, you know? We how went do you like to Korean food. It's amazing. I, I I've already liked Korean food before I went to Korea, but eating Korean food, like the best place we have around here is like Honey Pig, which is like a Korean barbecue. But Korean barbecue in Korea, obviously, it's like it's amazing. And like we went to like so many different Korean barbecue spots, but each one was like you go to like a regular mom and pop like Korean barbecue place, and it's like, dang, this is just as good as like you know, five-star Korean barbecue. I agree, 100%. What, what do you think, yeah. uh, what's your favorite thing to order at Korean barbecue? Me? Probably Galbi. Galbi. What, what do you think about the people who say Korean barbecue is really from Los Angeles, not Korea? They're, they're crazy. They're crazy. <laughs> they're crazy. Yeah, like, yeah. I, we went to, like, so, like, um, we went to Seoul, and um, right next to, like, the Coex Mall, is like this like super tall hill, right? And there's like a Korean barbecue spot everywhere. We went to like this really, like, literally it looked like TGI Fridays, right? So like you go to a regular restaurant, like everywhere in Korea is like super nice. Everything's decked out. But we're like, oh man, this one's kind of like, like, you know, not as good as the other ones. But then when we ate there, it was like, what the heck? Yeah. And the day before that, we went to like a five-star Korean restaurant because um, Spider like sponsored everyone that came for the tournament to go to Korean barbecue that night. And like, it had like a Michelin star and everything. And I was like, man, this place got a Michelin star, but this place at yeah. the top of the hill is like way better. So anyone that says that LA Korean barbecue is better than Korean <laughs> barbecue in Korea is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, some, sometimes I think a Michelin star is bullshit. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. What was it? What was it like training? Uh, what was the vibe like training and competing in Korea compared to the United States? Is it a little tougher? You think? So I just went as a coach, so I didn't compete. Uh, Jamil competed in the Spider event, but it was training was amazing. Like they have the Spider facility and under the Spider store or above the Spider store. So the Spider store is down bottom. And you have just regular people coming in, people that don't even do jiu-jitsu. Maybe they run track or they ride the bike or they play basketball. They have all that like sports athletic stuff in the spider store, mm -hmm. but people don't even know. You like go to the back to the elevator upstairs and there's like mats all the way down the store. And the cool part is like a lot of people in Korea are just kind of learning about jiu-jitsu. Like, you know, jiu-jitsu, but like, um, so they see like big names 
and Spider will allow their sponsored athletes to come in and train as like bodies for the people that are competing. So even as a guy who just got his black belt and hasn't really made a name for himself, when I went in to train with Jamil, after he was done training with me, all the Korean guys were lined up like, hey, 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 me, 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 me. I was like, man, I didn't even know you knew who I was. Like, Mm -hmm. but there's still like me, 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 me. So that's like a humbling experience, like super cool that a lot of people that don't even know who I am, like 100% are still like, hey, I want to roll with this guy. He's a mm-hmm. black belt from Tumlet Urban. Let's get it going. Mm-hmm. The second thing I liked about Korea is the, the fans. The fans are like amazing. Like you go to a basketball game and you see LeBron and you'll have a LeBron hater and that LeBron hater will be like, boo, LeBron sucks. But this guy's got floor, you know, floor seats to an L.A. game you got four seats to an LA game why are you saying LeBron sucks like um I don't know if you guys know Herbert Santos but he lost his super fight in Korea and and the, like everyone was still like yeah Woo, you're amazing you're amazing I'm like so that culture is way better than like American hate like so much so I, I love Korea especially Coex Mall that place is amazing the Koreans are competitors. They're tough. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. They're super tough. Like, I'll, I'll never, like, I never, like, underestimate anybody, but, like, Koreans have, like, this hidden gear that they have, and it's, like, got to be careful. Got to be careful because they're they're tricky. Bro, absolutely. Bro, uh, so, so you were kind of talking earlier about when you're black belt trying to make a name for yourself. So you have all this excessive color belts. And then you get your black belt and there's such an emotional event, but is there still kind of like that? And then you start competing right away. So when you get your black belt um, and you're a competitor, is there kind of like this bittersweet, okay, I'm a black belt now, I finally made it, but then I kind of, not that you're restarting, but fuck, now I got to do all this to prove that I'm really legit. Is there kind no, of like, for sure. that, is there, is there that? I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, and people say it all the time. Like when you're a black belt, you're basically a white belt again. Mm -hmm. And you hear people say it, but like, once you get out there, you definitely feel it. Like brown belt is eight minutes. So black belt is 10. So you definitely feel that extra two minutes that you have to roll. Number one, Mm -hmm. number two, you're, you're now in the same weight class and tournaments of the people that, you know, you watch on YouTube and you like kind of like idolize. So now just like other people say, like your idols become your rivals now. So now those people that you looked up to for so long are standing right next to you in the bullpen or they're right on the mat with you or you're face to face with that person, you know? So it definitely was like a shock. Like when I first started competing, it's like, man, I'm in the same weight class as like Joel. He's right across from me right there. So I'm like, Ooh, this is tough, you know? Is there, is there a kind of like a, when you're competing against them now and you see them right across, is there still that um, envy, like, oh my God, or is it not, or is it kind of like, fuck this guy, like, I'm here too, it's my fucking turn? Well, now, now I don't even like, look at it like that, like, especially like in my interview of Flo, they were asking me like, hey, next up you're in the finals against Diego Pato like and and he's a huge name he's been doing big things and I told him like I don't really look at the names like for me at tournaments if I study too much into a person like my head will just start to explode now I'll like deflate 
So I try not to look at like this person's name and everything they've done and who they beat this year and all that stuff. And I, I just, I believe in my preparation mm -hmm. and my training partners. So I know that, you know, we prepared hard enough to beat whoever steps out on the mat. Because otherwise you end up just playing their game. Exactly. And you never want to do that in Jiu-Jitsu. 2021 Worlds. This is where we discovered you. You know, we, we, we were out there in Anaheim. We watched all the matches and we watched your matches too. You know, can you talk to us about your first Worlds as a black belt? Um, yeah, my first Worlds as a black belt um, made me very happy because I competed at PANS and I didn't really get the result I wanted at all. Um, but I, I feel like I kind of let, like I said, a lot of outside influence kind of like um, get into my head. So from PANS to Worlds, I knew that I had a lot of ground to make up. So just from like the very first day that I landed, I felt like the vibes were a lot different. Like a lot of my teammates were like, you know, a lot like very supportive and stuff like that. They're always supportive, but it felt like a lot more this time. And um, I was a little bit nervous because the last time I competed at Worlds, because um, you guys remember we had COVID, so there was no Worlds. And the last time I competed at Worlds was Brown Belt and I lost in the second round. And the person I lost to, I had him first this year. So, so like that whole time when the brackets dropped, my heart's like, oh my God, I know that I got this time instead of having him second, I have this guy first. But I'm like, man, I can't look at that because if I want to win the tournament, I'm going to have this guy, you know, somewhere. or anyone somewhere else in, in, the, in the tournament. So we fought really close. He, he actually surprised me. So I was going to try to steal two in the beginning, but he actually stole two on me. So he got, went up two points first and I was like, holy crap. Well, I got some ground to make up. But um, like I said, I got to my close guard and everyone's calling me the magic man. So I'm like, oh yeah, game over. You're, you're in my game now. You're in my close guard. But he fought really well to fight off like a lot of my A-game attacks. So when I opened my guard, I think he was kind of shocked. So it allowed me to come up and start passing. And when I came up, it was kind of like he was like 100% deflated. So I kind of like could do what I want. He didn't quit. And it wasn't like 100%, you know, destroying this guy. But after I swept, I could tell like, oh, I'm going to win. I'm, I'm going to do everything it takes to win. So I, I won by ref's decision, which isn't always, you know, my favorite because my heart just starts beating super fast because you never know like who the refs are going to choose. Even if you had a great match, they could still choose the other guy, right. you know? So they chose me and I got super excited, especially since, you know, black belts are Saturday and Sunday. So part of that, like being nervous a little bit is like, man, I still have to make it to Sunday, you know? So I have one match on Saturday, but after my first match, I kind of like, it's like, all right, we're here. We're, we're in the zone. I got to eat. So I'm like, all right, I I'm feeling pretty good. And um, I changed, I changed, I actually changed a ritual that I normally do. I can't tell you guys everything. Can't tell you guys everything. But I normally watch a certain group of people before I compete. And I changed that group of people this year. So it kind of had me in a different mindset going into Sunday. Kind of like what you said. You were like, well, do you, are you like envious? Like, oh man, now I'm in their zone or is it like, F it, I'm, this is my tournament. So Sunday, I kind of felt that like, 
I'm here. It's time to make my stamp. Like, I'm today's the day I make it. So the second match I had when I was a blue belt, this guy that I fought in the quarterfinals, he actually won light feather as a blue belt. And I was in there and I got third in that division. So I was like, oh man, well, this, this is, you know, trip down memory lane. This guy was here in blue belt, but now a black belt. So it's going to be a totally different story. And uh, same thing. It went all the way down to ref's decision. And I was like, holy crap. What are the odds that I win two ref decisions in, you know, two days? Like, I'm like, man, I know I worked hard. I know I had like a lot of good attacks, but hopefully these refs are like, all right, we'll give it to you again. And they did. I felt like I did everything that I was supposed to, like passing wise and staying on top. He never swept me. I had a lot of good passing attacks. So it was like, boom. All right, we, we won that one. The next one was the semifinals. And I've actually never fought this guy before, but I've heard about him a lot. And he came up with like black belts before me. And I knew that this guy was good because he would place at different tournaments. So I'm like, all right, here we go. Another barrier to knock down, you know? So I fought him and this time it wasn't ref's decision. This time was an advantage because uh, I actually got to steal two first. So I was like, whew, all right, we're winning. So when it got down to like a minute left, I was like, there's absolutely nothing I'm going to do, you know, to lose this match, you know? So I'm just passing. I sweep. He sweeps me back. When I come on top the last time, it's like, yeah, I, I win. I, I'm not going to, whatever you do, whatever you try, I'm going to win. And I won that match. And then we made it to the finals. And I was there. But it was kind of like, I could see myself grappling, if that makes sense. Kind of like out of body, but I got to some of my main positions. And when he got out, it was like, okay, I'm back in my body. And I just started going crazy. And it's like, well, this is here and this is here. And, and what do I do here? And what do I do here? And I kind of like panicked a little bit. And as you can see, he like took advantage of the panic moment. But after the tournament, I didn't like, dwell and I wasn't like oh that was the worst performance ever and I, I did horrible like for my first year at Black Belt getting second wasn't what I wanted but it wasn't a bad thing to me you know Let's see. did you have any expectations heading into the tournament or you were like heck yeah world champ is always the expectation like I always oh, know yeah. that okay yeah, I want to be a world champ but but I see what you're saying and not really I'm like my first year at Black Belt I would like to get on the podium you know, and some people will look at that and be like, oh, well, that's that's the first reason why you lost. But sometimes you got to be real with yourself, like coming out of quarantine, not being able to train that much, jumping right in, right back in. And my first tournament was Orlando. Then after that was Pans. I'm like, Pans wasn't really my best performance. So my expectation for this tournament is, you know, trying to hit the podium. And I, I think I did pretty well. So what, what was that feeling like? Because you were, you've had this goal of becoming a world champion in jiu-jitsu since you were 13 years old. And, you know, you make it all the way to the finals and you're just 10 minutes away from reaching your goal. You know, what, what's going through your mind? Does that, does the nerves get to you at that point? Or So before, before the match, I was not nervous. We went to go get sushi. We were laughing hanging out just like normal. Like, like I told you, big camaraderie team, 
So a lot of us are laughing. A lot of us talking about the mistakes that people made, you know, cause you know, the world is like four days. So we're joking others about, you know, mistakes we made and mistakes they made and stuff like that. So before I wouldn't say I was nervous. It wasn't really until like, so you guys were there and you know how you have to shake hands with all the refs. It wasn't until like that moment when I was like, shake hands with this ref, shake hands with that ref. And now I'm in the middle standing across. I don't care who it was. If I was saying, I don't care who was over there. It could have been Jesus was over there. Mm -hmm. I would have been like, wow. Like you said, 10 in 10 minutes, I could like reach the goal that I've been trying to reach since I was 13. So it kind of was like, whoa. And then I had to snap out of that. And like, no, 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 no. It's not whoa. Let, let's get to it. Let's, let's, you know, conquer this goal. So I would say the nerves probably got me when I first stepped on the map. But then after that, I was like, all right, we're in here. So when you're at that level, at what point at, at your level, uh, the difference between the victor and the loser, is it really even skill about who's better? Or is it, do you think it's about who's got the better head game? Who's, what do you think it is? hundred percent. I think it's both. Like you can't train two times a day and beat someone that trains, you know, three times a day, you know? And unless you have a, like a good head, because there's a lot of people that will train five times a day. They'll do cardio, they'll do strength and conditioning, they'll do drilling, they'll do another drilling, then they'll roll, right? And they won't beat someone that just trains in the morning. But it's because they have all this stuff in their head that they have to get past before, you know, they can shake hands with this person and actually roll. So like, I'll, I'll go against people and I, I can see like, oh, he just broke. So that will like boost me up because, oh, you just broke. Oh, it's, it's my time. Like now I'm going to start turning up, you know? So I think at black belt, that breaking point has to be, you know, very far away for you because at black belt, everyone's good. You have blue belt world champions, purple belt world champions, brown belt world champions, brown belt, brazilero champions, all type of champions at black belt. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that good headspace when you get up there. And do you think that headspace is just a matter of, um, do you think it's, you're born with it? Do you think it's a matter of just keep on training um, or competing? How do you think you get that tough, unbreakable mindset? Some people are born with this. Some people like are just like, I don't care who you are. You're not going to beat me. But I definitely was not one of those guys. Like I said, I didn't start winning until I was like 13. You know, so it was something I definitely had to build. And even when I turned 13, it wasn't like, oh, now that I'm 13, I'm going to just start winning everything. You know, mm -hmm. it was more like, all right, I'm doing good. Now let's start getting better and better and better and better. So and I'm still working on it now, even as a black belt, there's still points where if you get me here, I'm like, oh, God, this, I'm not really the best at this position, but I'm you know, I'm not going to quit, mm -hmm. you know. So I definitely think it's something that you work at and something that, you know, you're not hundred percent born with and you can, you know, find it. So then what is your, the pans are coming up, but what is yes. your ultimate goal as a black belt to where you'll be like, I did this. I'm, I can retire a happy man. I, I would say world championship, like 
I, I wouldn't retire after one Worlds. I definitely would try it again. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't just, you know, win the Worlds and be like, all right, done. But if I were to say, okay, if there's one thing I want to win before I stop competing at all, it would be a world title. Yeah, I don't even mean like stop compete. I meant more in like a fulfillment. Like I finally reached uh, my goal. So it would be the IBJJF world championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be a world champion would probably probably be, you know, the top goal for me. You know, looking back how far you've come and everything, um, what has jujitsu meant to you throughout all of this? What, what has jujitsu meant to me? Um, if I had to sum it up into like one thing, it'd probably just be, you know, have fun. Because a lot of people take it as like a job. A lot of people's parents push them to do it. But if you're not having fun, then you're never gonna, you know, want to succeed because you're going to see it as a burden. Like if I don't win, then my parents are going to be mad at me. Or if I don't win, I'm not going to be able to make this much money. Or if I don't win, I won't meet these people, you know? So if you just go through jujitsu, just having fun, you'll, you'll have those moments like going to Korea with my team or, or like this year, we're going, trying to plan a trip to Brazil to compete in the Brazilian nationals. So it's like, that that's a fun trip. Win or lose, I've never been to Brazil. So five days in Brazil with, my brothers is going to be awesome. You know, mm-hmm. even if, even if I go out there and lose first round, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like, dang, what the heck? I just lost in the very first round after coming off such a good win at the world's I'm going to be angry, but I'm going to look back I'm going to see the things that I did wrong. And I'm going to help, you know, the rest of my team coaching and just have a good time, you know? Mm-hmm. See, sounds like you're still having fun. Yes. Yes. Mm, that's good. Well, so, uh, you know, what's next for you? We heard you talking about potentially starting your own school in Alabama. You know, yes. what's, what's next? So um, competition wise, we have, I'm still looking in the near future, like maybe in a couple months, like Dallas or Miami. Um, in May though, in April, there's PANS. And then after the PANS, the Brasileros. So I definitely plan on doing Pan American Championships and Brasileiro is also in the works. But in the future, I definitely want to open up my own gym for sure. See, and when you do open up your own gym, what would you do differently as a coach? Me, just kids. <laughs> just train, just train kids. Like okay. adults kind of have like I wouldn't cut myself off because business-wise, you know, parent, you know, adults pay just as much, you know, as kids. And there's a an adult, you know, group out there. But for me, I think kids are kind of like an open book. Like adults are finishing chapters and they're like, eh, you know, you tell me this, but do I really want to believe it? But if I tell a kid to put his pinky toe in his nose, he'll try it, you know? So I kind of like working with kids a lot more because they're a lot more impressionable than an adult. I see. And you already work with a lot of kids right now. What do you think from your experience are the most important lessons that need to be instilled in kids? Discipline, for sure. Because you can have like the best kid in the world at jiu-jitsu, but if he doesn't listen, he's not going to be good. Especially with like the trust factor that we talked about with your coach and stuff. Um, Fun, 
because if you're a kid and you're not having fun uh, in jiu-jitsu, like what's, what's the point really? Like jiu-jitsu is supposed to be fun. I mean, it's not supposed to feel like a job, like I said. Mm. And that's probably it, discipline and fun. Because you got to have fun, but you still got to, you know, follow the rules. So, you know, Malachi, as we wrap up uh, the show, sorry, final question. Um, and not just jujitsu, but really anything. Um, what advice would you give to anybody who's trying to become a black belt in anything they're doing in their life? Whether it's jujitsu or, or judo or business or medical, what advice would you give? I would say you never know when it's your time. You know, so like some people come out and just like people like TikTok is huge right now. Some people will blow up and be media sensations overnight, like two days. They'll have one viral video and then viral video, viral video, viral video. So I would say you never really know when it's your time. Like from the age of six years old to the age of 13, I may have won. Like I can probably count on my hand how many juicy tournaments I won, but I kept working and kept getting to where I wanted to be. And now I'm starting to finally hit my stride, you know? So basically believe in your dream, never give up, never give up. Cause you never know when it's your time. The, that overnight success. I think uh, the overnight success fairy tale, that romanticization of that, I think causes a lot of people to never ever chase their dreams because for majority of people, it's, it's hard. Like, you know, it's, it's, and it's supposed to be hard. It's, you know, you're not, and not just that a lot of people that do have overnight success when they finally reach that point where like, boom, and I failed, everything goes they wrong crumble. because they crumble because they've never, you know, had to go through the hardships that people that grind to get to the top have gone through, you know? Absolutely. Have you seen that in jujitsu? Yes, for sure. For sure. Especially growing up, um, Growing up in jiu-jitsu, I've seen a lot of kids who go through, like, say, just novice to advance in, like, a month because mm. they're so good at understanding jiu-jitsu. But as soon as they lose, they're like, nah, not for me. Nope, mm. not doing this anymore. You know, a lot of good kids, like a lot of good kids. Do you see anybody who's ever dominated at color belts and then once they got into black belt, they were just like, I just can't handle this uh, they're just not for sure that. for sure for sure and not not you know not just children you know people that started at as an adult and got their black belt super fast and you know didn't lose at the color belts and they lose at black will go and that, those are the guys that you'll see like training in canada all of a sudden oh you still do jiu-jitsu but i i can't compete it's it's you know too much for me mentally so mm. i think taking l's at the lower belts was like a blessing like I learned how to lose and I learned how to win. Learn from your, so learn from your failures. Never stop chasing your dreams. Uh, yep. Keep on fucking pushing. Exactly. Thank you, Malachi. And no problem. Thank you for joining us in the show, man. We had a great time talking to you. We hope you had thank a good you. time talking to us. For sure. Um, and bro, you're, you're going to be a world champion. It's just only a matter of time. Like you said. Thank you. Thank you. And not only that, well, bring you to Guam. Do your seminar. Yes. Yes. When, I, when you guys go to Guam or when I go to Guam, I'll hit you up and make sure that you guys are going too. Yes, sir. And then when we're in Maryland, we'll go to a Korean barbecue. Yes, please. If you come to Maryland, let me know. You guys will train with us and we'll yes. go to Honey Bake. Bro, they say Honey Bake is where the real 
Korean barbecue is it's better than actual Korea. What do you think? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I was gonna agree. I was gonna agree for a second, but no, no, no. Can't do that. All right. Thank you, brother. We appreciate it, man. No problem. No problem. Um, all right, Malachi, we'll catch you later. All right, see you guys.